Hope y'all are enjoying season two of the Wayward Muse podcast. Some people have told me that they were confused and thought we were called your Wayward Muse, not Wayward Muse. I'd love to hear your thoughts, which sounds better. Anyways, merch online. I'd love to see some more dope t-shirts around. Go to yourwaywardmuse.com and cop some swag. But now let's dive into some more industry insights. Tally-ho. Christine Wiseman is the bar manager at Broken Shaker LA and a top four finalist for best bartender of the year. Christine, thanks for coming on. What up? So glad I'm here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I wanted to cue people into you and your background. Could you tell us a little bit more about you outside of being one of the top four bartenders in the country? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's pretty run of the mill industry vibes. You know, I've been, um, I've been in the hospitality industry for about 20, 20 plus years. I've kind of been all over the, all around the block. I've been, I worked for Outback Steakhouse for 10 years, um, mm. <laughs> which was, a, which was a big one for me. I, I started off as a bartender there, management, kitchen, opening them, like kind of all over the place. Um, and I learned a lot there. And then I began, and then I left Outback and went with a startup restaurant group and where I was, um, a back of the house, um, trainer or um, coordinator. I opened all the kitchens. I ran the kitchens, um, menu development, things of that nature, began working with the chef, um, who like began to teach me like flavors and how to cook and, um, all kinds of things. And, um, then after that, after I left that place, I uh, worked, I talked in a guy by the name of Todd Thrasher, who is uh, one of the you know top cocktail guys in DC. I somehow talked him into hiring me at one of his cocktail bars and um, where I didn't at that time even know how to make it old fashioned or make a Sazerac or knew anything about anything. All I knew was from Outback Steakhouse and pouring frozen drinks and, you know, making Lynchburg lemonade. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so from there, um, you know, I had a great group of people around me at that bar. It's called Virtue Feed and Grain in mm-hmm. um, Old Town, Alexandria. And I had a, you know, everyone there was super dope. And a lot of people taught me, you know, how to bartend. And um, I'll still always remember them. And, and then I left and then moved to L.A., and that's when, you know, kind of my, you know, then a kind of a second life began, you know, from um, I started working at Inc. Um, it's a restaurant by Michael Vataggio that is no longer there. But then um, went behind the bar and a lot of, you know, the, the chefs and, and, you know, Michael and everybody taught me a lot about flavors and how to extract those flavors and how to pair those flavors with alcohol and you know, make beautiful drinks. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, my cocktail making um, came into play. And then I kind of went into nightclub, um, not not nightclub, but um, more nighttime bartending and um, worked um, at a couple of places in LA called No Vacancy and La Descarga. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I went into um, and opened a bar called Break Room 86. It's a 80s themed karaoke bar at the Line Hotel in Koreatown. It was, it was so fucking awesome. And I, that was my first bar that I ran. And my first menu, I, I, started, I, I wanted to, you know, start 
playing around with a lot of stuff. And I did a mood ring, um, a, sniff, a scratch and sniff menu, which was to this date probably one of my greatest menus. Um, the cocktails so, could probably, would probably be better, but uh, that that sounds really interesting. So, like, did you um, like, did you like literally like, okay, now put on your mood ring. Oh, you got yellow. You got to have a yellow drink. <laughs> no, I I did. I wanted to. I mean, obviously, that would have been an amazing aspect to it but it not you know in a club you know environment it was mm. definitely not uh that wasn't a doable thing but yeah. you know I kind of like made the cocktails like you know fun there were no like bad moods it was all like mm-hmm. uplifting and refreshing and like sexy and you know stuff like that so yeah and I died like it was a whole thing I dyed the cocktails a different color than like what they were and then like it was it, you know like the black cocktail was like a strawberry you know stitch but mm-hmm. like, so then the the stickers like the scratch and sniff stickers were clear and so they just like went over top of the menu and uh it was it was crazy it was a little intense I mean definitely not COVID but no, not, definitely not a COVID friendly <laughs> menu now uh, yeah. but, uh, but this was, this was a lot of time going on and then and then um you know I met a couple of guys um Gabe and Elad and I met them I, I mean I think I met Elad first a long time ago at, at Tails I heard that Broken Shaker was opening up in LA and I knew immediately that that was the bar that that was my bar this was my mm-hmm. job. This was like what I wanted, everything. And I had never even been to a broken shaker. I just knew that this was, and these, and like, they were the guys for me. And like, this was the spot for me. And I um, pursued it, it very aggressively. And, um, and then finally they were one day, they were like, okay, fine. You, you have the job. Like, okay. We're <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So I've been with them. Um God, I think it'll be like five years this summer. Um, it's been, I've been in the actual space for like a little over four now. So yeah, coming up on our our fourth year of opening up there. So that's it. And that's to, to the day of where we are. <laughs> Look at that. I was kind of curious right at the beginning of your story. Chain restaurants, like national chain restaurants always have this kind of, I would say, uh, history of having some of the most unique guests and stories. Like most of the great bartenders and chefs that I know always have some crazy wild things that happened, you know, whether they started out at Applebee's or Chili's. Did you have like one of those like defining, oh, this is the service industry moments back in the day? Well, I, so the Outback that I worked at was the world's busiest Outback. I know that sounds it's like crazy, but like. Here we go. There's got to be some good yeah. stories in there. <laughs> I mean, a million in there. This is so long ago, but you know, um, yeah, so we are the world's busiest Outback. So um, like we were the, like the first one, I think to hit like six, do like over 6 million a year, which probably by standards now is maybe not that much, but tw- 15 years ago, it was a lot. And, um, but Mother's Day for us was this, like, this insane extravaganza of a day that we began planning um, months and months and months in advance. I mean, we would do, like, I think on those days we were doing, like, $65,000. We put up huge tents, grass, you know, like, silverware, ordered glassware, like, another bar outside, and, like, you know, huge weight stations and, you know, it was, it was 
and I think our takeaway, like out of one little tiny room and all out of one kitchen, we were doing like 12, 15 grand just in like takeaway sales. So, um, yeah, I, a refrigerator truck like rented to like hold all this food for like the weekend. And, and, you know, and I did every position, you know, within that place and when I, you know, like running the front. It was, again, it was, it was a lot of logistic planning. It was a ton of, ton of work. And I kind of always like took that as my project. And I haven't stepped foot in an Outback Steakhouse since I've left, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I, I don't know when I'll be ready to do that, I guess, but it taught me a lot about, about the like actual business. So, um, so that was kind of like the main thing that I've always taken away is that it, it taught me a lot behind the scenes. Um, it taught me a lot in, in the front of the house of what not to do. You know, I, I kind of one of my things that I'm very, you know, relearning right now is is um, hospitality and guests and like what's the where's where's the line of too much hospitality and and something that I felt like without back it was too much hospitality. You know, you we let the guests you know, dictate the experience. And that's something that I am trying to wrap my head around again right now is, is where, where is the line of, of over, of over the top? Yeah. That's an interesting thought that I'd love to expound upon. Cause there is this sense of like, you kind of have to guide your guest right through whatever experience you're trying to get them to. But there's also the sense of, well, you also want them to be able to bring their experience into your space and not feel like they're being pushed to one side or another. So it's a really fine line that a lot of people probably don't know if they're just walking into a, a concept. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, from a bartender's like point of view, um, um, perspective of, of hospitality, we're behind a bar. We don't move. The guest is there in front of us. You know, it's a very, like, it's a very casual thing. Most people that sit at the bar, I think kind of know what they're getting into. They want to kind of talk a little bit here and there, be left alone. So, but when you're at a table, you know, and you are having service, you know, the server is definitely kind of all over the place. And, and, you know, so you're not dealing like, you know, and you're probably dealing with like a few other people dropping the food off and, you know, busting the table and, you know, running the drink. So you're interacting with a lot of different people. Um, whereas like the bar, you have like that one person, like that, you know, is like your main point of contact, but you know, something that I've really been like, I've come into contact with a, a lot over this past year of, you know, COVID bartending COVID service is that the way people treat servers is complete garbage. And what it seems to me is that like a lot of the servers have never been taught how to tried to you know work out a situation at the table instead of things escalating and like you know the guests getting really mad and then Mm -hmm. like I want to speak to the manager like there needs to be a like a dialect between the server and the guest about how things are going to go and how you know it's huge conversation something that is like definitely not within this one hour but I believe that people need to I think we also need to retrain our like the guests on how how experience how how it works in a bar like just because mm-hmm. I think that just because you don't like something just because you know we may ha- a, a, a item might be getting to the table a little later than usual it's not uh is not a time to sound an alarm and like 
raise up all these things and like take care of a bunch of stuff off the check, you know, and, and throughout COVID we've heard the word slim margins and, you mm-hmm. know, all of these things like regarding the P and L's and, you know, how much money restaurants are like actually not making. And at the end of the day, you know, if you, if you at, at a restaurant, a five to 10 things a day, you're comping, taking off the check, remaking, whatever, that's 300 items a month. Mm-hmm. That could, you know, be very expensive at the end of our bottom line. And, and for what, uh, you know what I mean? A mistake was made, mistakes happen, you know? And again, I think that there's a, there's a dialect that needs to happen between like the servers and guests. Uh, I'm so sorry, this is taking a minute, but it'll be right out and it'll be delicious and it'll be perfect. And, you know, I, I just think that, um, and I think for me, hospitality is doing something for the sake of doing it for a surprise and delight and not for having like having to do that. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think I, I feel what you're putting down because um, there is like a different sense that there's a different energy that your bar guests have versus people who are receiving service. Right. There's almost like a different power structure there because like everyone who's sitting down at the bar usually is looking for the one thing the bartender has. Right. And that's booze. So there's a, it's almost like they come correct. Right. They're like, oh, OK, I'm not going to be too pushy or too crazy because the bartender could just be like, well, um, yeah, you're getting served last. Sorry. Um, not that that's the way that you should do it. But that is something that I think isn't like in the back of everyone's mind. Whereas with the server, there is this sense that I think and unfortunately, it has kind of been like highlighted and kind of or fortunately has been highlighted by COVID is the way that people interact with their servers and they just assume that they will be kowtowed to almost. Whereas, you know, that's still a person. You need to treat them as such and you need to understand that they are providing you with a service that you want so badly that you are literally risking your health to be waited upon. I'm going to change course just a little bit. I remember you were saying in, when you were you know, speaking about your time in the industry, how you had that culinary crossover. Are there some like tricks or hints to, when it came to creating cocktails that you think that other bartenders might benefit from learning from the back of house? Well, I would say um, a lot of the things that I, you know, I took from was from a culinary perspective, again, was how to, you know, kind of extract flavors a little bit. You know, I I was lucky enough at Inc. that they had like all of the fancy equipment, you know, kind of a a while before a lot of people were were using, you know, immersion circulators and, you know, cryovacs Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those types of things. And, and um, yeah, so that was, that was definitely kind of a game changer for me. Um, instead of just like letting, you know, these things like infuse in a bottle or, you know, a camera mm-hmm. for however many days or months and, you know, I really know what you are getting. And, and that was, that was a really cool thing about, you know, beginning with the immersion circulator is that you could get like a, you could get it out in like an hour and you're like, oh, sick. Mm-hmm. Um, save some of the alcohol too, if you kept it at and, the right temperature. So Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, so you know, it, honestly, it was, it was for me, um, uh, and it, moving again to LA was eye, like eye opening for me is like all of the produce and all of these amazing 
items that I had never really been seen before either. So, um, yeah. So was there know, like a, like a LA like aha moment where you're like, Oh, c- this is citrus, this c- citrus season. Yeah. It's out of control. I mean, there's nothing like it. Yeah. You have um, everything out there. I, I miss getting all the shipments out there. Every- like the price of limes just skyrocketed out here, like to the point where it's like, I feel like I have to charge for lime juice. <laughs> You want a margarita, you're now paying five dollars extra for that for the live juice in it. <laughs> exactly. Or you can just have the tequila soda. <laughs> yeah, or here is a gimlet. Here you go. You're getting a gimlet. There you go. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean the citrus season for me was just like, whoa, all of these you get you know, and it changes a cocktail like that, you know. Yeah, just a higher quality too, and like all the different things that you can play around with. Are there certain ingredients that you found that are in LA that you just really gravitate towards a little bit more? Um, you know, I just feel like we have, it's, I don't really even from, you know, I, I feel, uh, you know, weird saying this, but I don't really know where, what other people do because mm-hmm. what we have out here is, you know, but and not even just like, and not even, you know, just the abundance of, of, you know, beautiful produce, but, you know, we, I live in Thai town, you know, Koreatown mm-hmm. is right here, you know, like there are so many, um, there are so many little pockets in this city that are, that when you visit and like eat the food and like go to the grocery stores, you see again, just like from the world, like a worldly perspective of like, what is, what is out there. And that's something that, you know, on, on how I try to do my cocktails is, you know, like picking out you know great flavors from you know things that i've eaten and and tried to like recreate something around that is there Um, like a particular cocktail that you're especially jazzed about these days that you've been working on well no i mean i have some really fun stuff on the menu right now but i mean back in the day um when like i had more time to you know r and d and things like Mm -hmm. that i mean i uh I had a papaya salad daiquiri on my menu that was the best daiquiri ever. I mean, like, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I mean. I mean, you ha- so you, I I'm just saying on, that. I, it sounds so good. <laughs> I worked on it for a really long time. I mean, because I, I essentially use, like, the the like the dressing and, like, the papaya salad as the base of the cocktail. So like, there was tomato water, fish sauce, lime juice, um, palm sugar, uh, you know, all in it. And obviously I didn't use like the exact recipe because it's like, it's a friction of fish sauce. And that is a, a, an ingredient that a lot of people are, you know, don't really quite know what's going on there. So, um, and then I use a little bit of um, Chiro and rum and that was it. And it was, it was stupid good. I love that drink. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a million. I have a million of those things. You know, I go to the mm-hmm. go to the go to the farmers market and pick up some stuff. I mean, luckily, like in um, my, I have a produce company that we work with that will go to the market for us and like buy a bunch of ingredients as well. So we, you know, I'm so what what we have here is is very lucky, and and I know that. <laughs> I think that's the one of the better approaches to doing cocktails is just going with, you know, what's available and what's in season. I think that's a, a great way to go about it. Yeah, I just change it up all the time and, you know, things that are fun, you know, 
the drinks are always, you know, pretty and, you know, it's like Instagrammable. So <laughs> you got, you know, yeah. you got to have the great cocktail to go along with the, the skyline and the view from, from Shaker. So. Yeah. Would you say that like um, the way that Instagram has like influenced your cocktails in a way, or do you think it's just kind of like, well, I, I, do, I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? Like, you know, I know that people are going to be taking pictures of these drinks, you know, and so they need to look good. It doesn't, you know, I've, I've gone so, so many ways throughout my career as far as like garnishing goes, you know, with cocktails, like, you know, trying to like keep it like a little bit more sustainable and not go over the top, but over and I've, and I've also been extremely over the top. And then you mm-hmm. also have to learn with, you know, with, you know, at, at Broken Shaker in the middle of the summer, when it's 105 up there, everything dies like super quickly. Mm-hmm. So even if it's on ice or whatever, it's, I mean, I don't have, you know, there's not a ton of space behind our bar. So, um, you know, we're trying to, you know, yeah, and, and like 105 like mint is like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like I can't keep a lime wheel green, you know, like they basically mm-hmm. are dehydrating um, in front of us. So, you know, I, I use a lot of dehydrated, you know, things and I, you know, mess around with, you know, dehydrating, you know, certain fruits and stuff to see like what it would look like, you know, some things are not really cool, but some things they're not like really garbagey. So, um, you know, just trying to keep things, um, but then, but then also I will put like a million, you know, whatever, if I, whatever I can find, I'll, I would love to put in a, you know, on a drink for people, but you know, those, those days are kind of gone. It's just like kind of, just kind of a in between of making it look great by the color, um, the glassware, you know. I wanted to speak to you as well about, I noticed that you had recently, uh, been a part of the speed rack advisory squad. Could you tell me more about that program? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's so great. Lynette and Ivy are always, and their team are always pushing the, you know, boundaries on how to get so many people involved, helping out, you know, a lot of people that, you know, don't have, are, are in larger markets. Um, and yeah, I've been paired with the, um, a lovely girl by the name of Drea in Seattle, um, we've been sharing some texts back and forth and trying to get a, like a, our first video face-to-face meeting set up. And um, I, you know, this is just the beginning. I think that it's an amazing um, project. I'm really stoked to be a part of it. Um, and I'm, I'm also, this is also like learning something for me as well of being a mentor in a kind of a structured sense um, mm-hmm. and mentoring somebody that I don't know. And um so this is a new, this is definitely a new um, style for me. Um, very much, you know, when I mentor, you know, people, it's definitely a, you know, a day to day and side by side and face to face interaction. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's, it's so great. And I know it's going to be minimum six months. And, but I think obviously when you, you kind of create like a bond with somebody, I, and I think, um, you know, Jerry and I are, will be friends probably for forever. So um, I think, you know, learning outside of um, even like, it, you know, I, it's such a, it, I, it's always such a, I, I learned so much from other people too, as you know, very easily like picking up something like new habits. I mean, you know, people living in Seattle is, you know, doing things differently than we are down here. So 
it's always great to be able to get other people's like perspectives. And I, for me, I don't really think that it's going to be just me mentoring her. You know, I think that it will definitely be a lot of um, mentoring each other. Yeah. I think so, that having that sort of back and forth is, you know, kind of the, the beauty of that whole entire system. I think that's so cool. I, I, I love to see that sort of thing. So. Yeah. And that, you know, listen, I've, I, I always try to tell my bartenders too, and people I'm like, do definitely do as I say, I've been there, done that. And um, mm-hmm. I know I trust me, like you don't, you know, don't work seven days a week when I'm only putting you on four. It's for, it's for the good of you. I promise. Like, you know, I, I've learned so much over the years as like far as like balancing work and life and boundaries and, you know, even this year. So mm-hmm. um I think that I'm also really excited to be able to um, have the have the um, space to to tell to talk to somebody about all of these things and and that they are also interested in hearing them. (laughs) Well, we did it. We got we got through our outline. We covered all the cool things that you've been working on. And through the pandemic, like when it comes to the pandemic and this wild wild ass year, there's some like lessons that you've been able to pull down and just be like, this is the way that I think bars should be now. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, I've, I, as far as like maybe, you know, how the bar is ran, I, I very much in the future, um, you know, when it's time for me to step away, I want, um, I think that, you know, bigger bars, it should be, you know, co- you know, there should be more than one just bar leave. You know, I, I really want two people to kind of be in that because there's just so much, there's so much to do and so much to learn. And we, um, there's a time right now that there's going to be a lot of new people coming into this industry by mm-hmm. need, by wanting to, and we need to give them a place um, that they can come into and that we can teach them how it works. And and um, give them all the necessary tools instead of just throwing people into the deep end and hoping that they swim. And that, that um, phrase is like, doesn't need to be, doesn't need to happen. It's not fair to those people. You know, we always wonder why there's such high turnover because, you know, these people got burnt out trying to figure it all out on the, by themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are so many, you know, so many people have been, uh, they're, uh, have all tools and you know, research and put in a lot of work that we need to be able to pull from those, from those um, items and, and give them to them. And I think a lot, again, like co-bar leading is, you know, what I, what I see the future for broken shaker, at least so that way there are two people are doing, you know, a lot of different things and it's education and training and teaching and, um, and, and also for them to learn as well, because again, same thing, like so many new places are getting ready, are going to be opening, you know, from, from, um, you know, all this property that is up for grabs and, and then you're just going to be throwing in brand new barleys that have never done it before mm-hmm. and don't know shit and um, teaching the things that they don't know to people that don't know anything either. So it's going to be a vicious cycle. So I think now is like such a great time to be able to, um, you know, open your arms to a lot of people and, and try to, you know, teach them um, 
and coach them in the, in the right way so that we keep, you know, we keep rising up and again, kind of like back to the beginning of what we talked about and, you know, giving people the, the proper structure of being able to handle themselves out on the floor and, you know, having the, having respect and for each other, the guests and the, and the, you know, service. And so there's a lot, there's a lot to keep on learning and there's a lot to keep on moving. And I, I hope that, you know, we, the industry really recovers from with, with this past year. And yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be the crazy pivot because, you know, like, I mean, even just in my social circle of bartenders, there's so many that have, you know, moved on to another profession. There is going to be a lot of, you know, younger blood. And that's kind of what this podcast was designed for is like, well, let's, let's have a place where they can listen to conversations and figure out exactly what, you know, some of the people who've been there and done that, you know, you can learn from their experiences. So thank you for sharing your experience. Uh, yeah, of course. Listeners. Yeah, if anybody ever wants to reach out and, um, you know, chat with me or message me about anything, I will do my best to get back to you right away. 